Sometimes it's our doubts that cause us to leave God. Right? How many of you today might feel like, you know what, I don't know that I can believe in God because this has happened and this has happened and this has happened, right? Anybody with me in that? But the quote said, why not bring your doubts to God? And, and I believe there's a time in all of our lives where we're going to have doubts, right? John the Baptist was the one that came before Jesus, yet John the Baptist was also the one that said, hey, I'm in prison now, and Jesus, are you the Christ? He's the one, his, as a baby, he left in his mother's womb. He recognized Jesus before he was even outside the womb. But yet he had doubts. And, and I believe today that some of us may be coming with doubts. Don't let your doubts keep you from God. Bring your doubts to God. Amen? Amen. So I'd like to introduce Stephen. Oh, Holly's making a run for it. <laughs> Is there something you guys need? Oh, it's a water. Um, I'd like to introduce Stephen and have him just talk. He's going to be sharing the message this morning. So open up your hearts to what God wants to say. It's going to be good. Thanks. Thank you, Shiloh. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, good morning to those of you who are online today. Um, my name is Stephen Bordenberry, and this is my lovely wife and better half, Holly. Um, and um, in the past, when I've spoken, I've, I've referenced my, my health uh, condition, and this morning I want to speak uh, a little more directly to the topics of suffering and healing, because there is a place for both uh, in God's kingdom. Um, I know that I'm not the only one here this morning who might be struggling with a, lo- a long-term disability, and so I want to acknowledge you. I hope this morning's message is an encouragement to you, and I also want to uh, acknowledge those who are serving as caregivers, giving up a, a good portion of their lives to take care of aging parents. And, uh, and children with disabilities. Uh, I thought about all of you as I prepared the message this morning. Um, I'm no expert. I've, uh, I've been at this for 10 years now, which seems like a, a really long time, but I know that there are certainly others who have suffered longer. Uh, so I'm just uh, speaking from my, my experience. Um, this morning's text is found in Exodus uh, chapter 2. It's at the beginning of the Exodus story of the, of the Israelites from Egypt. Um, the Israelite nation has certainly had its share of hardships, uh, if you're familiar with, uh, with their story. And it goes like this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came up to heaven, and God heard their groaning, And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. But I want to start with a a few stories before we get into the text. Um, A couple of people that you might know. Um, The first one is uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Raise your hand if you know Johnny Erickson Tata. uh, She runs just a fantastic uh, ministry that that serves the um, people, the, the people with disabilities. But if you know her story, um, she went in 1967 when she was 17 years old. She was swimming in the Chesapeake Bay, and she misjudged the depth of the water. She dove off of a diving platform and hit her head on the bottom of the of, uh, her head on, on the bottom, fracturing both her her fourth and fifth uh, vertebrae, causing her to become a, um, a, a quadriplegic uh, from the shoulders down. During her two years of rehabilitation, she experienced everything from anger to depression, suicidal thoughts, and religious doubts, nearly giving up on God. 
except for the encouragement and lifelong commitment of a few Christian friends. Johnny has lived with her disabilities for 56 years now, so it makes 10, like, pale in comparison. Um, And from her wheelchair, she's become an evangelical Christian author, a radio host, an artist, and and, and founder of Johnny, Johnny and Friends, which serves the needs in the disability community. She has inspired, and she has certainly inspired me, she's inspired generations as one of the great examples of faith and courage triumphing over her tragedy and debilitating loss. Now, how many of you know Bruce Van Natta? Greg and I do. <laughs> Greg let me borrow a book that was written by him called uh, Miraculous Life about six years ago, and I finally returned it to him this morning. So if you lend me a book, just know that, that the Vordenberg House is like the black hole of books, okay? So um, God, God did something different in Bruce's life. Um, he was raised in a very uh, disruptive uh, family, um, family home. And um, I think as he grew up with a lot of doubts about his faith because of that, um, 16 years before a, a, an accident that he had, uh, God called him to full-time ministry, but... I think because of the doubts, uh, Bruce decided not to uh, follow through with the call. A couple nights before the accident happened, Bruce had a dream, and in the dream, God, told, God asked him the question, are you willing to die for me? And Bruce didn't know what the message meant. He went to his pastor. His, his pastor couldn't interpret the dream either. A couple days later, um, and at this point, Bruce is, is a diesel mechanic. He's working on a logging truck, and uh, the, the truck is, uh, has one of the front wheels taken off, and it's, it's balanced on a, on a, a, a jack stand. Um, Bruce is underneath the truck, and the truck is jostled, and the entire weight of the truck, which is about six tons, comes down right across his midsection and crushes him basically in half. So, as you can imagine, it was a miracle that, that Bruce survived the accident to begin with. Uh, he had so much internal damage. um, When he, as he uh, went through multiple surgeries, they had to remove most of his small intestine. So on top of everything that he had just lived through, which was a miracle, he now is uh, suffering. He's dying from starvation because his body can't absorb the nutrients that it needs through the small intestine. And this is where God steps in. This is where the, the real supernatural miracle takes place. There's an almost complete stranger that he had met a couple years before who has a dream, again, there's a lot of dreams going on here, but there's a dream that uh, he's supposed to go and lay his hands on Bruce and pray over him. And so he actually gets on a flight and flies to where Bruce is, goes to Bruce in the hospital, and, um, and lays hands on Bruce and prays over him. And this is what supernatural looks like, okay? Um, Bruce describes it as though a snake basically uncoiled inside of his stomach, and his intestines at that moment, in that instant, grew from three feet to nine feet long, which was just enough for Bruce to survive on a, on a regular diet. So at that, I think God got his attention at that point. Um, um, and at that point, Bruce did go into full-time ministry and into a healing ministry along with his wife. And, um, and he set aside his, his work as a, as a diesel mechanic, which I think I would too as well. Um, but, but here's the thing. Um, you have Johnny Erickson, uh, who, who does not get healed. Bruce, who does get healed. 
And I think we're left, uh, and what the common denominator between their lives is that they both went into full-time ministry. So um, they both, you know, dedicate their lives to serving the Lord. So why does God heal some people while others aren't? It seems, um, <coughs> it seems unfair and random if you, if you step back and look at it, except for God. He has his own plans for, for these, people lives, these people's lives. If you've lived long enough, um, you've probably experienced some form of physical hardship yourself, or you've seen someone else that you care about going through it, and you might be asking yourself the same questions. So what defines supernatural healing? Well, I have a definition, but it's not based on a Webster's or a Google search. Um, it's the standard and qualities, actually, that we see of healings during the time of Jesus. Think about your favorite healing story from the gospel and tell me if these qualities don't sound familiar. When Jesus healed, the results were immediate. They were complete and irreversible. He treated illnesses that were otherwise untreatable by the medical community. They were undeniable even to his naysayers, and they took place on ordinary, unplanned occasions. We also know that Jesus didn't back down from any situation whether it was from a physical disease or someone possessed with demonic spirits. So based on this, I think we can all agree that Jesus possesses both the power and the authority to heal in any circumstance. But this is where the debate begins. Because the non-believing world looks at Jesus, who's healed before and possesses both the power and the authority to heal, and they shake their fist at God and the Christian community and shout, I, I can't believe in your God because he sees all of this suffering in the world, but he doesn't put an end to it. And I get their disappointment and frustration. Believe me, I've, I've had those same feelings over the course of, of my struggles. The truth is that the answers to why suffering and why not healing, they don't come easy. But there are biblical answers, although they aren't always what we want to hear. There are answers in God's word, and he promises to never leave you or forsake you. When we struggle, and we all will at some point in our lives, we learn that he is there, that he can be trusted, and that God is enough. So let me pause for a minute and pray, and then we'll press into the message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that your word guides and directs us. And we, uh, we pray that you would... Um, Bless this time now together, and that your word and, and your name would be lifted up in the midst of it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So often when we hear someone's story about what God has done, we hear it told from the end. But we forget that there are some of us who are still in the middle of it, between when something started and when something came to a conclusion. Not every day from the time that we made the decision to follow God has everything gone the way that we intended or hoped. This is where I find myself. For those of you who don't know, my battle is with cancer and with peripheral neuropathy. My struggle started 10 years ago, and prior to that, by God's grace, I had enjoyed a lifetime of wonderful health. But here's how it started. I've always loved bicycling, and in 2013, I trained all summer for a, uh, a century road ride, which is basically a 100-mile bike trek um, that I did up in Acadia National Park. It's a ride that had been on my bucket, that had been on my bucket list for, for many years. 
But one month after the ride, I started noticing tingling in the bottom of my feet. My first thought was that it was a side effect of the bike ride, maybe a pinched nerve. But when the tingling moved into my hands, I started fearing a cardiovascular issue. After seeing a number of doctors, I ended up seeing a neurologist who told me that I had the early onset of peripheral neuropathy. We couldn't determine what the cause was, so we treated the symptoms for the next three years. But by 2016, the neuropathy had only gotten worse. So we went to our third neurologist in New York City. Give it up for New York. (laughs) He carefully went through all the blood work uh, test results that we had done up to that point. And with a fresh set of eyes, he discovered abnormal protein levels indicating the potential of cancer. Then, and this was such a gift from God, we find ourselves at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, which happens to be one of the leading cancer research institutes in the world, where we meet an oncologist, Dr. Lawback, who is also a Christian and who prays with us at every, at every uh, visit that we have. Again, give it up to God. And it was there, after three years, that I was finally diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer. And while the news was shocking, at least we knew what we were finally dealing with. And sometimes that's, that is the, the hardest part of, of, um, of, of medical research. And, uh, but we could start treating it. Since then, I've undergone 15 types of chemotherapy because multiple, multiple myeloma is a, is a form of cancer that never goes into remission. The best we can do is try to keep it as inactive as possible. So unless God breaks through, I'll be living with these complexities for the rest of my life. So you see how we end up at the feet of God? To be honest, I was surprised to end up on this passage from Exodus, but I feel like it offers a a good answer to the question, where is God in the midst of our suffering? The passage is broken down into three parts with very clear distinctions between earth's perspective, heaven's perspective, and the connection between those two realms, which is prayer. The first part is suffering from earth's perspective. During those many days... the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. There's the raw truth. This is from from Earth's perspective. All the Israelites know is that the Pharaoh died and when the Pharaoh died, things got bad for them and they cried out for help because of their slavery. That's the only thing they know from Earth's perspective. And when suffering comes to us, this is the only thing that we know. We find ourselves saying, I I don't know what God is doing, but I know this happened and that happened, and I'm groaning and crying out because of it. The second part is the line that connects us between between what's going on on earth and what's going on in heaven. It says their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. The next part is what's going on from heaven's perspective. This they don't know. This you and I don't know. Except, what we have, except that we have God's word to tell us. This is a suffering from heaven's perspective. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Thanks. It's like riding in a minivan here. It's like I got my water here. Uh, it's... It's important for us to remember that God, God's ways are always higher than our ways. And there are things going on behind the scenes that we simply don't have access to. 
But you and I have the benefit of this particular passage being recorded in Scripture, which gives us a glimpse into the unknown, clearly stating that God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God knows. And in knowing, and in knowing this, we also see the goodness of God's nature that still relates to us in the midst of our suffering today. Let's look into these four proactive attributes of God. First, notice that God hears their groaning. This is often the first question we have when we're suffering. We need to know, does God hear us? We have this tendency to question whether God hears us when he doesn't respond in the way that we want him to, because it goes like this. If God heard my prayers, then he would have done something by now. And since he hasn't, he must not care. So we try to increase our presence before God and generate more noise in order for him to take notice. It's like the children's story of Horton Hears the Who, where the people in the little town try to make enough noise to finally be heard. We become overzealous in trying to communicate with God because we're trying to generate that noise. I have to be honest, I fell into this, I felt, kind of got tripped up by this in my, my own uh, situation, and, and it ended up driving a wedge between me and God. I increased my time reading God's Word. I increased my time in prayer. I got together with others to pray. Polly and I even went to a couple of healing services because I was trying to get that breakthrough. And while none of these activities are wrong or inappropriate, I didn't realize what had started to seep in. My prayer life became so repetitive and self-centered because I was so fixated on my outcome that I lost sight of the will and the priorities of God. I lost my trust in God, and it corroded the relationship I once had with him. When I received the news in 2019 that I had recovered as much as I could expect neurologically, when I lost my ability to walk and use my hands, my disappointment caused me to literally turn my back on God. It became too difficult to read his word, and I wasn't sure I wanted to hear his answers to my prayers. This was a difficult time because I'd been a Christian my whole life, and this was very unfamiliar territory. But I, admit, I had con- but I had convinced myself that he must be tired of listening to my repetition of prayers and the temperament in which they were offered, even though Psalm 15, or I'm sorry, 55, 17 says very clearly, and hear this, evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. God does not tune you out after a while. He listens to, pr- to the prayers of the suffering. But... This is where our thoughts can take us if we don't receive the answers to prayers in the way that we're expecting. Let me sidetrack for a minute um, because I need to give you a little context for this passage, uh, but at the same time provide insight into the timing of God. We're at the beginning of the story of Israel. There hasn't been a baby in the basket yet. You know the little baby in the basket, right? The baby Moses. You remember the little baby in the basket who was found, and then he goes to Pharaoh's house. And when he leaves Pharaoh, and, and, and it's in Pharaoh's house that he's weaned. And when he leaves Pharaoh, Moses is 40 years old. When Moses comes back to speak to Pharaoh, he's 80 years old. So the time between when God heard and God parted the waters is 80 years. 80 years. That's a long time for the Israelites to wait. How many of you know that God's not on your timetable? It's a, hard, it's, a hard, it's a hard lesson to, to, to learn. And yet even though they didn't see anything for those 80 years, today's text makes it clear that God heard. And we need to remember this as we wait. Not only does he hear, but God remembers. 
Now, there's an important distinction in this promise. Notice what God remembered. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he remembered his redemptive purpose. He remembered that Abraham's lineage would outnumber the stars of the sky, and he remembered that this promised seed would come through a promised line. And in order to preserve this promised line, he was going to deliver the Israelite nation and make them his own people. God's purposes are clear. God exists to save his people. So me not receiving what I ask for is not an indictment of God's goodness or character. He doesn't have to give me whatever I want to save me, and it doesn't require removing suffering from my life. Friends, there are things about the Christian life that we do not and cannot understand, but we must believe that every ounce of it is absolutely necessary, ultimately for God's glory and for our good. Remember, he's doing something that's beyond our comprehension. He's ordering all things according to his will and his redemptive purpose. Next, God also sees his people. So how do we know this? Listen to what we find in Psalm 121. I lifted my eyes to the hills from where, my, from where does my help come from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I thought this promise was especially important to those who suffer injustice at the hands of others. When it's safer to withdraw from others and suffer in silence. This passage has the potential to break through that silence because it tells us that he will not slumber, he will keep your life. He doesn't give up on you, don't give up on him. God is aware of all of our circumstances, even when you got that bad, that, that bad diagnosis or when your heart was broken, God was watching. He was not surprised, he was in control. When you suffered that miscarriage or when you tried to get pregnant and it was negative again, God was watching. He was not surprised. He was in control. When your loved one died or when your child was born with disabilities, God was watching. He was not surprised. He was in control. When your parents divorced, when you lost your job, or when that child went astray, God was watching. He was not surprised, and he was in control. But you know what? We go through that list, and all those things are terrible. Why am I not comforted by the fact that when this happened, God saw it happen? In fact, that makes me mad that he saw it, but he didn't do anything about it. You know why it's comforting? Because the alternative is unbearable. It's unbearable to think that there are other things waiting around the corner that might catch God by surprise. It's just not like that. Things which could happen to me that God doesn't see and he can't control. But do you know what I can bear? What I can bear is that this situation hurts me, but the God who spoke the world into existence is calling me to himself, and nothing, no matter how painful, can separate me from his presence. God sees me in the midst of my circumstances, and he also sees a way out, because I can't live with the alternative that this thing happened and God was nowhere to be found. 
The picture here is of love and pity. The word to know in the Old Testament is an intimate word. It's used of husband and wife intimacy. It goes way beyond the idea that God simply knows about our circumstances. The same God who's holding up the universe knows each of us. He knows each one of us personally. Jeremiah 11 tells us this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God not only knows you, but he had plans for your life before you set foot here on earth. And because he knows us, he'll move in unexpected ways in our lives and heal us beyond our physical needs. For example, think about the paralytic who was lowered through the roof by his friends. He was healed physically, but his physical healing was not the primary concern of Jesus. Jesus was more concerned about the forgiveness of his sins. He had been healed physically, but if he was left in that sin, Jesus would have done him a disservice. And yet deliverance from sin may have been the furthest thing from the paralyzed man's mind. It certainly wasn't his request or desire in that moment. But this is what happens with a God who knows you. You may pray for one thing with great faith and passion while failing to see that God is accomplishing something even greater and of eternal value. After 10 years, you can imagine that there are times, even still, when, I become, when I've become extremely focused on my physical restoration. Suffering is real, and relief would be awesome. I would love to be able to open my hands again and stand up and walk from here to there. These are normal functions, right? It uh, doesn't seem like I'm asking for too much. And while Christianity doesn't provide the reason for each experience of pain, it does provide deep resources for actually facing hardships with hope and courage rather than bitterness and despair. Suffering has its way of tearing down relationships and pushing away those you rely on the most. It's counterintuitive, but sometimes the loved ones are unfortunately your closest targets. <laughs> but something I've learned, and I know this, going, is, this is going to sound pious, but the truth is practicing gratitude and thankfulness goes a long way towards protecting you against the harm that bitterness and despair tends to cause. And Paul captured it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he writes, God comforts us in all, in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. As this situation has humbled both Holly and me, we've also learned to comfort one another. And because of that, we've experienced healing in the areas of our marriage, which I know has lasting, which has lasting impact in both our lives and, the li and in the lives of our family and friends. So where is God in the midst of our suffering? This passage assures us that God, in fact, hears us, sees us, knows us, and he's true to his covenant by making a way to save us. So let me switch hats for a minute and share with you how God has directed my study on the topic of healing. And I, I realize I'm, I'm, I have to watch the clock here a little bit. You might think that accounts of healing are sprinkled throughout the Bible, but they're not. Healing, along with other miraculous sign gifts, show up during three significant milestones in the history of the Bible. And these signs point towards a, a new message that God is about to reveal to his people. These accounts are also marked by God's agents or chosen leaders through whom he uses to manifest these miracles. In doing so, he authenticates that both his agent 
and the message he's about to reveal can be trusted. Let me give you an example. The first milestone is when God gives the law or the Ten Commandments through Moses. Do you remember the time God sent poisonous snakes into the Israelite camp during a moment of anger? And after pleading with God, God told Moses to fashion a bronze snake, place it on a pole, and lift it up over the Israelite camp so that anyone who looked upon it would be healed. And God affirms Moses with these words, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. We can think of a lot of, a lot of miraculous signs that occurred during the life of Moses, but the message God introduced, during, introduced uh, through the law were the moral and ethical guidelines to direct the conduct of the Israelite nation. We see this pattern repeated during the lives of Elijah and Elisha, God's miracle-working prophets, when God intercedes again with his prophecy, warning the Israelites of the wrath being stored up against them because they were worshiping foreign gods, and he provided the foreknowledge of the coming of the Messiah too. The third milestone comes, as you could guess, during the ministry of Jesus and the disciples. It's during this period that we see an explosion of healing, everything from physical ailments to the casting out of demonic spirits. But it was the message of Jesus that the kingdom of God was at hand that was the good news, and he came to establish a new covenant through his teaching and ultimately through his atoning work on the cross. But the healing that took place during the ministry of Jesus took on a much deeper meaning too. Do you remember this exchange between the disciples and Jesus when they asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. And Jesus replies, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is kind of mind-blowing even for us today to think that Jesus is qualifying suffering and that there might just be a purpose and a value in suffering in order to serve God's plans and further his kingdom. This idea kind of caught my attention to think that God would, re would redeem this seemingly lost time that he could use the situation to display his works in and through me. All of a sudden, I'm back in the game. <laughs> so, you know, we tend to think of the healing ministry of Jesus as simply a display of his compassion. And don't get me wrong, there were times when Jesus couldn't help but be moved by compassion. But if compassion had been his only motivation, he would have healed everyone he encountered. I don't think he would have been able to hold back. But he didn't, so I think there's a little more to it. How many times after Jesus healed someone did he go on to tell them that their sins were forgiven? First, he took care of their immediate needs, the physical illnesses and disabilities, which set the stage for a much more important message as to why he came. And as he continued to teach, it became clear that it was through him that we would be saved from a much more foundational problem, one that goes to the depths of our souls, keeping us from any hope we have in a future, at least a future that has anything to do with God. The healing became a means to an end. It served his purposes. It was a sign pointing towards himself that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And anyone who believed in him would have eternal life. This was the message Jesus came to deliver. This was his priority. And friends, we've been commissioned with the greatest message of healing this world has ever known. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. And when we share the, this with others, 
we're giving them the greatest cure for any circumstance they will ever encounter because it's an eternal, lifelong, and sustaining message which bridges the gap between where they are today and where they will be for eternity. So where was God? So, um, so where was God in the midst of, your, of, of their suffering? He was in the same place when his son suffered for your sin, in the same place he was when the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, the second person of the Trinity, with whom the Father and the Spirit had lived with, had lived through all eternity past, took on a second nature, wrapped himself in flesh, and sinful, evil men beat him, scorned him, and mocked him. The father condemned his own, un- his own son to death and watched him die. That's where he was when you suffered, in the exact same place. He has not moved, and he will not move. And we need to remember it's from that place he orchestrated the greatest victory this world has ever known. We also need to allow for the benefits of suffering in our lives. So what do I mean by the benefits of suffering? First, communion with God is its own reward. And he will redeem the suffering in and he will redeem the suffering in our lives as we draw closer to him. I've heard him speak to me through prayer. I've seen him in dreams. When I've needed to find that extra gear to get out of bed, he's been there for me. I've been a Christian for most of my life, and I can honestly say that I'm finding a strength in him that I would have never known if it weren't for going through this long-term disability. Second, God will use suffering in our lives to strengthen us. It's like the muscle builder who puts their muscles under a strain that's almost too much to bear, only to result in more strength and greater ability in the future. Third, remember the land which we wait for is not here. We're being prepared for another place, a city whose foundation, whose builder and maker is God himself. Jesus promises us in John chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to, be, to myself, that where I am, you may be also. With such wonderful promises as this, suffering will cause you to loosen your grip on the world. So if someone asks you, is it always God's will to heal? There are two ways to answer. Yes, Scripture tells us that believers have the promise of a resurrected body in heaven. That's already been accomplished. And if you wonder what's it, what it's going to be like, look at the resurrected body of Jesus. He was recognized by his disciples, so there must have been some physical resemblance. And he even ate some fish. Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way. The biblical view of things is resurrection, not a future that's just a consolation for the life we never had, but a restoration of the life you always wanted. This means that every horrible thing that ever happened will not be undone and repaired, will, will not be undone and repaired, but will in some way make the eventual glory even, I'm sorry, but it will in some way make the eventual glory and joy even greater. But more likely, what people are wondering is whether God heals this side of heaven. And in this case, no, God doesn't heal in every situation. The Bible doesn't promise it, and experiences teaches us this. So we need to recognize that God is God, and we're not. His plans are not our own. His timing is not ours. He's doing something that's beyond our comprehension. Henry Blackaby put it this way. 
We must wrap ourselves around his plans instead of inviting and limiting God by asking him to join ours. The world is watching for our response in difficult circumstances. We need to guard against allowing hardship to develop into bitterness and separation and for suffering to have the upper hand. Because we know that our time here on earth is temporary and that God promises someday we will be in a place where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. The former things have passed away. And I'm pretty sure there's no room for, for wheelchairs there either. So um, I'll leave my parking pass when I leave. So um, God assures us that there will, be, there will come a day when Christ stands victorious, glorified, and vindicated. And when he does, you and I will rejoice even over the worst moments that we've ever experienced as we follow God. I don't know where you are today, but I know that you're here, and I know that because of life circumstances, we all wonder from time to time if God hears us, if God sees us, if God knows us. We may even question if God still loves us. But please, please remember this. If there's ever a moment when you question whether God still loves you or not, you look to the cross. Because when you look to the cross, you'll come to a place where you say, God never has to do anything to prove that he loves me again. Whatever, whatever it is that God is taking you through, don't you dare allow it to cause you to question whether the cross still means what it meant, because it does, and it always will. And because of the cross, we have hope. Amen. So... We're going to have uh, uh, the music uh, come up and, and play a little bit. Um, we're just going to take a few minutes to, uh, to kind of meditate on, on a few thoughts from the message. A um, couple of questions that I wanted to, to throw out to you. What would you do if it happened to you? Are you prepared to allow God to use suffering to move you from where you are to where he wants you to be? My self-centeredness cost me time and communion with God. Do you have circumstances in your life that have taken prior, priority over everything else? Are you willing to step aside and let God be God and allow him to show you his direction? Have you been waiting a long time for an answer to prayer? Ask God for the endurance and strength to carry on and pray for the flexibility to receive an answer to that prayer in ways that you weren't expecting. And if you've come here today and you're a non-believer, ask God, maybe today is the day you decide to receive eternal healing. He suffered and died on the cross for you to receive so that you can start on this amazing journey of following Christ. You can receive this form of healing right here and right now. And it pales in comparison to any doubts or temporary circumstances you may be going through. If you would like to pray to receive Christ today, there are going to be members of Shiloh's prayer team up front to pray with you at the altar. I believe today could be the day that you tap into the resources of the Christian life, the teachings from the Bible, the power of the Holy Spirit, and a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth who cares about each and every one of you personally. So why don't we take a few minutes, uh, bow our heads, and then I'll close us in prayer.
dear Jesus, by your endurance and suffering, you gave us the example of obedience to the Father's good will. Be near me in this moment of weakness and pain and sustain me by your grace. My strength and courage will not fail because you give from the storehouse of good things which were purchased by Christ. Heal me according to your will and help me always to believe that what happens to me here has purpose but is of little importance in comparison to my eternal life with you in glory. Amen. So, I guess we're dismissed, but I know that lunch is being served downstairs, so please come downstairs and join us. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. Love, love you guys. Love you guys. Thank you.